I just want to read out this verse one more time to you because I grew up in Churches of Christ and still these hymns are so powerful. I trace the rainbow through the rain and I feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. Y'all probably know the drill by now. We have been reciting these promises that God made to Abraham. So we're going to do it again this morning. God promised Abraham a name, a land, a son, and a blessing. God made these four promises to Abraham. And we've been talking about them each and every week. So just in case you feel lost or you haven't been here for the past couple year, weeks, we're going to do a little bit of a review of this series so far. Okay, Abram is a major character in Scripture, and I don't want anybody to be lost. Okay, We have been in the book of Genesis. This is the first book in Scripture. We started in chapter 11 by talking about uh, the, the story of the Tower of Babel. And then uh, we talked about chapter 12, the call of Abram. And we preached these two stories back to back because the citizens of Babel wanted to make their name great. And God said to Abram in chapter 12, I'm going to make your name great. So we can't make ourselves great. If anyone is great, it's because God makes them that way. When we try to make ourselves great, we become confused and scattered and lost. Then two weeks ago, we finished chapter 12 when we talked about Abram and Sarai and their time in Egypt. When they experienced a famine in the land, they had to travel down south to the Nile River. Uh, hopefully, that would, would have been a safer place to live. But unfortunately, Pharaoh found Sarai beautiful and took her without asking. And so God, to punish Pharaoh for his actions, sent plagues on him. And Pharaoh sent Abram and Sarai out of the land of Egypt, back to the promised land of Canaan. That's chapter 12. In chapter 13, 14, and 19, we covered the story of Lot. This is the nephew of Abram. And we see that Lot makes so many tragic, self-destructive decisions. In chapter 13, Lot separated from his uncle and left the promised land to go live in Sodom. In chapter 14, Lot gets caught up in this war. Fortunately, his uncle Abraham saves him from that war. And then we skipped all the way to chapter 19 to see the end of Lot's story, where God punished the city of Sodom, destroyed it, but by grace saved Lot and his two daughters, even though they were not deserving one bit. So at the end of chapter 19, which we got to last week, we, Lot basically writes himself out of the story, okay? So this week, we're rewinding from chapter 19 all the way back to chapter 15. And I don't want you to get out your Bibles just yet. I want you to make sure to see this next slide, okay? The events of chapter 15 take place right after Abram rescues his nephew, okay? And what this means, realistically speaking, is that Abram mustered an army... And he used spears and swords and shields to rout his enemy and save his nephew's life. And the big result of chapter 14 is that his nephew did not return to the promised land, did not return to live with his uncle, and instead went back to that wicked city. So it makes sense that at the beginning of chapter 15, we read, after this, Referring to the war that Abram just fought to save his nephew's life. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, 
Don't be afraid. Abram, I know you just used a shield, but remember, I am your shield. Your very great reward. Okay. I don't think God would be speaking in this way unless he knew Abram is concerned. Abraham has fears. He has worries. And that's exactly what we read in the next verse. Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? I remain childless. And I guess the one who will inherit my estate is my servant, Eliezer of Damascus. God, you've given me no children. So I guess a servant in my household will be my heir. Okay. Pause for a second to sympathize with Abram, just for a minute, okay? Abram does not have the New Testament. He does not have the Old Testament. And so far, if you count how many times God has spoken to him, this is the fourth time God has spoken to Abram. Meaning, he has uprooted his family from his original home, traveled all the way to the Promised Land, fought in a war, almost got killed in Egypt, and he's had four interactions with God. Can we have a little sympathy for his frustration? Can we understand why he might be exasperated? He says, Sovereign Lord, you promised me years ago that I'd become a great nation, and I'm not one step closer to becoming a great nation. I don't even have a son. Now, God repeats another promise that he made back in chapter 12. God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of order of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And guess what? Abram says again, the same exact title, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Again, we need some empathy for him. He's just wandering around the land. He's a stranger. He doesn't own this land. He doesn't possess this land. You can understand why he's asking, how, how can I know? How can I be sure? Which is why I want us to start with this question this morning. Have you ever felt like you have nothing to show for believing in God? I want to ask that question one more time. Have you ever felt like you have nothing to show for believing in God? Think about it from Abram's perspective. God... I left my home, I left my comfort, I left what's familiar, and I'm not one step closer to any of these promises you're talking about. Sure, they sound wonderful, but I'm an old man with my old wife. How can I possess this land? How can I have a son? I'm not a, a ruler here. I'm a nomad. I'm a stranger. I'm a nobody. Have you ever been in this kind of situation? I believe in you, God. I just need you to help my unbelief. I trust in you. I just need more help to trust you. I put my faith in you, but I just don't see any results. These promises that you mentioned are great, but they're not here yet. What am I supposed to do? Now, when any Christian is struggling in their faith, I think they normally hear two suggestions. One suggestion comes from outside of the church. And it's basically this. Stop listening to the voice of God. You're kidding yourself. There is no God. Sure, you were raised in church. That's fine. But it's time to grow up and recognize what all adults know. Your religion is just wishful thinking. 
Every time you put your faith in God, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Just look at the world and see there's, there's no results for believing in him. Just, so, just stop listening. I think the other response, which comes from inside the church, is something like this. Despite all your doubt and all your struggles, just close your eyes and take a leap of faith. Now, the ultimate example of this path, which has been used in approximately one million sermons, comes from Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. Okay? Excuse me, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Woo! Some of you Indiana Jones fans were upset. Okay? Harrison Ford is standing at the edge of a cliff. There's a bottomless pit below him. The other side of the chasm is too far away to jump, and he literally says out loud, it's a leap of faith. Y'all, this is catnip for preachers. This has been used so many times, only God knows. Okay? People struggling with doubt hear this. Hey, just close your eyes, ignore what's around you, and take a leap of faith. But my question is, is that actually what God suggests when we struggle with faith? Is that what he actually says for us to do when we want to trust him more? I think chapter 15 in the book of Genesis gives us a third and better way than either of those two suggestions given before. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. Uh, you can get out your phone. You can get out your Bible app. Just don't check email or text. We focus on Scripture this morning. Uh, start in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Go to chapter 15 and starting in verse 4. Okay, We're going to hear God's response to Abram's suggestion. Right? If I can't have ne my nephew Lot as my heir because he's out in Sodom and I can't have Eliezer of Damascus, who? Okay? The word of the Lord comes to Abram. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, will not be your heir. This is not going to happen by adoption. This is going to be a son who is your own flesh. Your own flesh and blood will be your heir. I'm sorry, Abram, but your suggestion is not going to take place. Instead, look at what God does in the very next verse. So... God took him outside and said, what's the first word? Look. You can imagine God's divine hand bringing him out of his tent. It's pitch black in the middle of Canaan. The only light comes from the moon and billions of little stars. And God says, look up at the stars and count them, if indeed you can. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Does he say, close your eyes? Does he say, take a blind leap of faith? No, no, no. He says, walk outside, look up, look at the light. Look at the stars that I have made. This is the first part of our answer this morning. God does not want us to shut our eyes and ignore everything around us. It's true. Abram doesn't have a son in his arms right now. But it's also true that the God who promised him a son is the creator of the universe. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, this is what we read. God says on the fourth day, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs. Can you believe that? That's in chapter 1. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. 
Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And this is my favorite little note from the author of Genesis. And he also made the stars. Have you ever wondered that God might have made the, the stars as little object lessons for Abram? Like right when he's struggling with his faith, God knows, I know just the thing to show you, that I am reliable. You see, if you look up at these stars and you realize that I made all of them, do you think I can give you a son? That's when Abram believes. And it's credit to him as righteousness. If you skip down to verse 9, uh, you see that Abram uh, is, is reiterated the promise that he's going to possess the land. And that's when he says, Sovereign Lord, but how can I know? And that's when God says something very strange. The Lord says, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Five animals. Now, Abram seems to not be shocked in the slightest, like in the slightest, by God's orders. He seems to know exactly what to do, and that's because in this time, Abram knew that when men entered into an agreement with each other, a mutual understanding, they would do something called cut a covenant. Okay, so let's say two. Ancient chiefs wanted to have peace between their tribes. They would take a set of animals, they would cut them in two, and arrange them in halves opposite each other. Both men would make a promise, and then they would walk through the carcasses of these animals. I know this artwork is really amazing. I'm thinking about going into graphic design, okay? This is to show you what this looks like, okay? They divided the animals, they set them in half, and then both would, would make their vows and process through. And this was a very bloody ceremony. And that was on purpose. Each man was saying, hey, if I don't end up holding my side of the deal, let me be like one of these animals. This was a big deal. You wouldn't lightly make any of these promises. And Abram does all of these steps without even being asked to because he knows what this means. He thinks God and I are about to enter into a covenant together. He gets all the animals, he cuts them in two, he arranges the halves opposite each other. Okay, he's expecting to perform this ceremony. But this is the crucial verse, verse 12, if you look at it in your Bibles. After he arranges all the animals just right, we find out that Abram is not awake for the ceremony. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Okay, so right when both equal parties would normally walk through, Abram is passed out. We read in verse 13 that God speaks to Abraham in this supernaturally caused sleep. God says, know for certain. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and will be enslaved and mistreated there. I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Okay. When I was reading this week, just to be honest, I wondered why in the world God would interrupt all of these proceedings with such bad news. 
Right? He has said, your family is going to be two things for a very long time. Strangers and slaves. But remember Abram's original question. He says, God, how will I know for certain that my descendants will have the land? And this is why God says, because I'm about to give you a detailed account of the future. And you have to trust my word. When you're dead and gone, Abraham, your descendants will become slaves. For centuries, they'll live in a country not their own. They're going to eventually return to the promised land. And Abram, you'll know this because everything I say will come to pass in its proper order and timing. You're going to have to trust my word. God stakes his whole reputation on this prophecy. And that's when God walks through the, the sacrificed animals. We read, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. And what, what, what happened? It passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. This is amazing. God is the only one who passes through the animals. He makes a one-sided covenant with Abraham. If I don't keep my word, may I be like these animals. God says that. So this is so important. Whenever we're struggling with faith and we need to trust God more, God tells us to do two things. First, look at my world. And second, listen to my word. And both of them are so important. God does not say close your eyes and take a leap of faith and go into the dark unknown. He says go outside and look at the light. I made those stars. This is the exact opposite of Indiana Jones. Apologies to Steven Spielberg. This is, this is what God wants us to do because he gives us eyes to see. Jesus loves healing the blind. God does not think faith is denying what's around you and, and ignoring everything you see. But second, and this is so crucial, he says, listen to my word. I'm going to report to you exactly how things are going to go down. And if they don't, you'll know that I don't really know what I'm talking about. And I'm not really in control. But like Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear. And we need both of these to look at his world and listen to his word. Now, we see this back and forth in this passage in Genesis chapter 15, right? And we see kind of these, these two parallels, right? And it's, it's very clearly a pattern. God reiterates a promise. Abraham expresses some kind of concern about this promise that he's feeling confusion. Then God says, look at the stars or bring me a sacrifice. We see Abram's response to that and then God's response to his faith and obedience. But I think it's so clear in, these, in this pattern that, that we see, that really God's action and God's power is emphasized in every step of the way. Think about a son that only comes from his flesh and blood. Only God can do that. This land that's owned by ten other tribes, all with the ites, <laughs> the, uh, the Canaanites and Perizzites, all of them, how can, how can Abraham ever get that? Well, that's only because God can do that. The covenant that you'd think would, be, would happen between two equal parties? No, it's just God. And for us, I just think this truth is so crucial for us today. And it's in three parts. God will do what he says he will do at the time he plans to do it. Y'all, I think each of us struggle with one of these parts. 
and it's different for everybody, but man, I think two and three are really common for me. Because sometimes I think, yes, God is going to do what I think he said in the Bible. And I don't actually look to see what he's actually promised, not what I think he promised. But man, three, that's my weakest point by far. Well, surely God is going to act on my timetable. Surely he's going to work with my due dates that I give him. But no. God is going to do what he says he will do at the time he plans to do it. So what do we do? First, I think we've got to go back and listen to God's promises in Scripture. You may be really struggling with believing in God and having faith in Him, but I dare you, go back, read the promises He's made, and ask, ask yourself, does He keep them? Does He do what He says He's going to do? We have a whole written record of promises made by God. But second, this is so important for us today. We've got to look to God's timing and not our expectations. Abraham assumes that his servant is going to be his heir because he doesn't have a son in his arms right at that moment. Well, years later, he is going to hold a son in his arms, but it's not on his own timing. I think... Um, it's not always a great idea to, to fight over worship song lyrics, but I'm going to jump into this debate. There's a song called The King of My Heart that has a chorus that repeats this line over and over again. It says, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. Now, this line, depending upon its meaning, is either 100% true or 100% bogus. Okay? If it's about God's promises, it is 100% true. If you bank on his word, he will not disappoint you. You will never find out that God has been lying to you or misleading you. But if letting you down means going against your expectations, it is 100% bogus. We have so many expectations of God that he teaches us are not accurate. And if we say, God, you're never going to let me down, and then he does something we don't expect, we will be in for disappointment. This line is absolutely true. If you remember, it's about God's promises. He's never going to let us down according to his word, not according to our assumptions. So if you struggle with faith, I'd encourage you. Go back and look at the promises God made. Listen to his voice, but also walk outside and look at his creation. He called the entire universe into existence from nothing. He can do what he says he's going to do at the time he plans on doing it. When God makes a promise, he will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, we know that your faithfulness is great. You are loyal to your word. You keep your promises. You never break your vows. Father, help us to look back at scripture to see all the promises you've made that have come to pass. Help us to see that you've been faithful to your people over and over and over again. 
and that we can trust you completely today. Father, we recognize that following you is not actually risky, but it is costly. There's no chance that you will break your word or lie or deceive us. You are always, always reliable. And yet, like Abraham, you call us to great cost, sacrificing our whole lives to you, being willing to give up everything just to be faithful in return. Father, if there's anybody in this room who's struggling with doubt or confusion and just believes in you but wants to believe more, I pray that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear. We all need to keep looking and listening for you. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.